Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates from General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery, and I want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us as we learn together now what it means to be Free Methodists in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. March 30th, 2020, this is episode 143, and uh, just a couple things I wanted to talk about or mention, um, go over before we get into the second segment of today. And uh, the first is, in the emails that have been coming out recently, there have been, of course, the daily bishop update emails um, and encouragements, and that's a continued thing that's going on, and I encourage you to check on the website if you haven't seen any of those. It's a um, great encouragement daily from the bishops, sometimes videos, sometimes uh, written blogs. Um, but that being said, uh, there has been a little piece to each of those emails for the last few days that is saying that we have something to look forward to on April 1st, um, which is this coming Wednesday, just a few days away, that there's going to be an announcement regarding the 2019 Book of Discipline. This is the one that's just come out. Now, we'll wait and see what it is, but many of us are hopeful this could be the promised and hoped for PDF version of the modern Book of Discipline. Now, we've always we've had PDFs of Book of Disciplines before, and you say, what's so exciting about that? Um, a few things. First of all, we've had copies before, but they're always the previous version. So in other words, we have right now access to the 2015, the one from four years ago, five years ago. Um, but what's great about if this is a PDF version that is accessible by all coming out on April 1st, what would be great about that is that, first of all, it's searchable. Um, you'd be able to, go, to to search it, and you wouldn't have to go, now, where, where was that? And you got to kind of page through everything. It's always good to have a, a you know actual copy that you don't have to print out that you could carry around. That's great, too. Um, but that's why a lot that's one big reason a lot of people are hoping for this is that it would be searchable that it would be free for everybody to access um that you wouldn't have to worry about the shipping times especially now or worry about um you know not having a copy that's up to date is, is this right if i only have 2015 but anyways we will see on wednesday what that's going to be um hopefully um well whatever it is it's going to be exciting to see what it is and um, so I want to mention that, and I will keep you guys up to date on that as soon as we hear on April 1st. I'm sure I'll put a little update out on what that might be. Um, also, I, I wanted to mention, um, because we need to be in prayer for the family here, um, and I, I just think this is, this is important to take a moment today um, and think about this. Uh, many of you are familiar with the ministry or have met or have seen videos or blogs or whatever it is uh, from Ronnie Hampton. And he was the pastor of New Vision Community Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, he was famous for his ministry called Taking It to the Streets, where he would go into the inner city neighborhoods there and uh, minister to people and many lives that were affected and changed. They have a pantry at their church. I mean, they're doing a lot of good work um, there at uh, New Vision Community Church. And um, just this past week, many of you have already heard the news that uh, Ronnie Hampton, Pastor Ronnie Hampton, passed away of complications due to he had uh, pneumonia in both lungs, and then he also contracted the, the coronavirus. And so um, as far as I'm aware, this is the first uh, free Methodist pastor that has 
been affected by this, and especially, I, I, I think I'm for certain, the first that uh, has passed away because of this. Um, so uh, we just want to keep the family in prayer. Obviously, this is something that, you know, not only a month ago, but even a few days ago, they, they couldn't have um, considered. They couldn't have uh, expected this. And so we want to pray for the church and the family. Um, Ronnie was able to put out a, on Sunday, um, he was able to put out a um, Facebook Live video to his congregation. Um, that's accessible online. You can view that. Uh, he was able to encourage them and, and just, you know, speak to the fact that he still had joy. He still had hope in the midst of that. Of course, he didn't know it was going to happen a day later. Um, but I think if we were able to speak to him now, he would have said, that in regardless of the outcome, that he still had hope. He still had joy because now he has um, he, he sees Christ with, with fullness, in fullness. He, he, his eyes are no longer, uh, you know, to use the scripture, the words of the scriptures, we see through a mirror dimly. You know, it's, it's like hard to see God now. Now he can see God. He, he experiences the full presence of God. And so um, I know that, you know, it's not ultimately a sad story. It's, it's certainly not a sad story at all for him, but uh, it is a sad story and it is a, a, a tragedy for those of us who are left here on earth without him and without the ministry um, that he specifically was involved with, uh, the things that he did. And we know that in his honor and, and for the sake of the kingdom, this ministry will continue in Louisiana. They're not by any means going to shut this down. Um, so we want to be praying for them as they move through this hard time. And of course, as uh, people aren't gathering in public, as they try to de determine how to best, uh, at this time, um, memorialize him and to kind of have this memory and, um, you know, apart from the normal funeral arrangements, there's so many different things that go into right now. And so uh, we really want to keep them in our prayers and, um, and anybody who's connected to the family to reach out and, and to try to a support in any way at this time as, as we have our Free Methodist family hurting through this. Um, and of course, we want to be praying also, um, as we pray here today, we uh, will pray for the family now, uh, but we also want to be praying for the Free Methodist World Missions and um, Spain today specifically. It is actually Phil Gilmore's birthday, and Phil and Deborah Gilmore are new to the missionary team in Spain. And uh, we want to pray for them as they join the team working toward church planting, community development, and transformation in Europe. So let's take a moment and just pray for all these different areas today. Dear God, I just um, come before you and, and uh, none of us were prepared, I mean, even a month ago. Uh, we had heard about this coronavirus, you know, we heard of some some fears overseas, we had heard about some things, but... None of us could have really expected the transformation that has really happened over the course of these, this past month, month and a half. Um, none of us, none of us knew that, that it would take people from us. Uh, we think specifically now of our free Methodist uh, brother, our, our, our friend, and um, an inspiration to many. Uh, and we pray that he would continue to be an inspiration to many, that that, that final video that he made um, would not just be a, a, a memory that everyone would look back and say, oh, that was good to see him one last time or to hear from him one last time, but that people could be inspired by the fact that he was still talking about hope. He was still talking about joy in the midst of being in a hospital room. So we pray that we would be inspired by that, that we would take that 
um, that we would we would take that mantle, we would take that uh, to take that next step as as he passes the torch, so to speak, uh, to those of us who are still here, and as he's moved on now into the into your presence. Uh, we thank you for that. We thank you that he gets to experience your presence. We don't have to worry about uh, where he's at or 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 is he okay because we do know he's safe in your arms. Uh, but we just pray for those who have to deal with that here and, and, and the knowledge of the in-between time of where we, we um, ha- are not seeing him until we get to be reunited with him again. And so uh, we just pray for the church there and New, New Vision Community Church, especially the fact that right now they can't gather together and hug each other and, and uh, you know, just talk in person as, as, as is needed. They have to call each other over the phone and, and, and there's so many restrictions. So we just pray that you'll be with them, comfort them even more during this time. Um, and uh, comfort those who were involved in the ministry, those in the neighborhoods. I pray that even those that uh, Ronnie had reached out to in the neighborhoods, maybe those who over the years you know, really loved him but weren't sure about you, I pray that uh, those people would um, just come to see you in a new way, that they would see uh, Ronnie's hope and that would lead them to a new understanding of, of your hope and your grace that, that they had heard about all those years and all that time that he was doing the ministry. Um, and I just pray for all of the Free Methodists um, in America, around the world, who um, are, are also suffering from this loss, that you will be with them. And you will comfort them during this time and, uh, again, lead them back to the hope uh, that Ronnie pointed us towards, in, even in his final video there. Um, we pray for Spain and we pray for uh, Phil and, and Deborah and, and uh, it's, it's probably a hard thing to have a birthday in the midst of this, in the midst of uh, how, do you, how do you celebrate? You can't as normal. And so um, we pray for Phil and Deborah. We pray as they're working in the missionary team here, um, as they're church planting and they're working on community development and transformation across Europe. Um, we just pray that you would just help them um, allow them to just know how to best do these things during this time. It's hard enough to plant churches. Um, it's hard enough to, to get those things uh, started and, and moving on to the next step and, and how, do you, how do you reach out to people. But in a time like this, it adds that additional layer. And so we pray that uh, this additional layer would now be, be even easier to reach people, actually, that, that somehow uh, you would guide them and help Phil and Deborah um, and bless their ministry, help them to reach more people during this time. And we just ask that you'll be with each and every uh, person listening, the congregations that are represented by those listening, and that they will be able to reach out to their friends safely through Facebook, through Zoom, through you know Twitter, whatever it is, that they will be able to reach out to the people this week, that they would be given uh, the strength and the courage to, to reach out to their friends, family members, everyone in between via these ways and offer the hope that, that is possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I uh, want to continue in our study in the Gospel of John, and we just started this study uh, not too long ago. If you want to go back and listen to the first part, it is episode 137, the episode for um, February 17th, and it was about a month and a half ago, Um, but what we're doing, we're not going through the entire Gospel of John, um, but what we're doing is we're actually focusing on the signs that John talks about in his gospel. And one thing we're going to see it again today is that John highlights certain 
miracles, certain signs. And what many theologians believe, many scholars believe, is that he it has these these this kind of hidden message just under the surface that he's telling through the signs. And as I said in the first recording of this, in the first uh, section last time in February, it's not a hidden message like, you know, when you when you crack the code, you're going to find out the end time date, you know, or something like that. It's, not, it's nothing that's going to be like something you've never heard before in your life. But it's a pretty cool, just like just under the surface, uh, reinforcement of John's message. Um, and as we go along, maybe you'll start to get some of the clues. You'll start to put together some of the pieces of what is he trying to point out here. Um, but you'll see today uh, even more of a reason why some scholars believe there is a rhyme and reason and a hidden hidden undertone to what John is doing through highlighting these signs. And, and we'll see that at the end of today's study. But what we're going to do is we're going to look today at John 4, verses 43 through 54. This is the second sign that is highlighted in the Gospel of John. So let's just start out by looking at John 4, verses 43 through 45. So this is talking about Jesus, of course. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Okay, so Jesus is continuing his journey here, and this is something that, that started all the way back in verse 3 in chapter 4. He's been on this journey, and uh, if we were to be looking at that, we'd see uh, he, this was where he talked with the Samaritan woman, and um, that he had been in Samaria for some time, and now he continued his journey after staying in Samaria for a few days. That's what it's referring to there. Uh, he stayed there for two days in, in Samaria, and then he left for Galilee. Uh, so we see um, in verse 44 that uh, a prophet has no honor in his own country, and that is actually a quote from Mark 6, 4. We know that the uh, Gospel of John was probably written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that's why it's so different. It has different stories from everybody else because likely John already knew what had been written and he was providing something new. He was telling some more stories that had not yet been told. And so he's referring here, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country from Mark 6, 4. And ultimately what that meant is that people from Jesus's hometown didn't have faith or they didn't believe as much. They said, oh, we, we know Jesus. We know this guy. Like, I don't know if we're going to believe in his message. What's interesting here um, is that verse 44, which we just discussed, seems to argue that Jesus wasn't welcome, that he wasn't welcome in his own country. But then verse 45 states, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So it's like, wait a minute, Galileans welcome him from his own country. It's kind of like, wait, this is saying like, Two different messages here. I'm, I'm kind of confused. Like in one verse it says he wasn't, he has no honor, he's not welcome in his own country. Then the next verse he is welcomed in his own country. Um, but we have to think about the context of these verses here because Jesus has just come, as we mentioned, from Samaria. He spent two days in Samaria where there was a big welcome, a big acceptance has occurred. Uh, and not just to say like, oh, well, you know, we, we accepted him, we welcomed him, we gave him some food, you know. But people believed in him in a, in a very deeper sense. The Samaritans put their faith and their trust in him and, and they urged him to stay longer. And he did for those two days because their lives were transformed by their belief in Christ, in Jesus. And so as we're going to see in this story here, the Galileans, they're welcoming him. 
but they're welcoming him much differently than those Samaritans did. They're welcoming him not as the Messiah, but because they saw what he had done at the Passover festival. I mean, it says right there, they had seen in verse 45 all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. That story is told back in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. There was a bunch of stuff that had happened there. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, well, he was in the Passover feast, it says there. Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Um, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. So they believed in him. They said, oh, wow, this is amazing. So when he goes back to that same area for the first time since chapter 2, hey, they're welcoming him in. Hey, we want to see more miracles. We want to we want to find out, you know, we want to see you do some more amazing stuff. And it's not the same type of belief that the Samaritans had a deep abiding trust in Jesus. They have a superficial we want to see miracles, we want to see more to see where we stand type belief. And that's totally different. That's a totally different type of welcome. And John, the gospel writer, has already shown Jesus's view throughout the first few chapters of John uh, on that kind of faith that is just put based upon completely on miracles. I mean, even just think about the verses I've just read at the end of chapter 2 where the people were at the Passover feast. Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men, John 2, 24. What that means is Jesus, he's not, he's not you know, excited really about this kind of a faith because he knew when they believed in his name, quote, unquote, He's, what they're doing is they're believing superficially. So he's not going to, you know, put all his eggs in that basket, so to speak. He knows their hearts. He knows where they're really at. And so there's been, you know, there's certainly uh, something to, uh, there's some, something to uh, a faith that is based upon miracles, but it can't stay at that. Uh, and that continues to be a theme throughout the Gospel of John. Like, all right, hey, Faith based upon miracles is better than nothing. Uh, however, it needs to evolve past that. Maybe that's what got you there, but you can't stay there. And so there's a welcoming, but it's really not a true welcoming as the Messiah. Uh, John is writing here with a deep irony in John chapter 4 to say, listen, people don't welcome. And so there is, was a welcome when he arrived in Galilee, but it really wasn't the kind of welcome that Jesus would have wanted him to, you know, to, for people to, to welcome him in, as a Messiah. Now let's look at verses 46 through 48 and see where this sign, this miracle comes in. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. This is where it all began. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. So let's just stop there for a moment. So here we have this royal official that's looking for healing. He's in the same town as the first sign, back from, from our last study, the water into the wine. And here in this town, there's a royal official and his son was sick. So here he comes, he's saying, hey, please heal my son. He's close to death. And this royal official, to try to figure out, well, who, who really was this guy? What does it mean by royal official? The word there in the original text is, and I'm, I may pronounce it wrong, but, but close enough, is a, basile, a basiliskos. 
And a basiliskos is someone who is attached in some way to a basilis, which is a king. So in other words, uh, what we're probably, most scholars believe here, is that this probably refers to Herod Antipas. Uh, Herod Antipas at this time is not a real king. He's not a king in the sense that we would normally get in our minds, but he's considered one. And he wanted to be called one. He wanted to be called King Herod. Um, Herod Antipas is, you know, put in power by Rome over this area. And so likely this basiliskos, this uh, royal official, works in some regard for Herod Antipas. And he seeks out Jesus, it seems, uh, he seeks out Jesus with little thought to who Jesus really is. I mean, when we hear, he just comes and he says he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son. We don't, we don't hear anything like in some of the stories. He fell at his feet and said, you know, I know you are the Messiah, and so can you heal my son? You know, just all we know right now is that he begged him to come and heal his son. Uh, but, he's, but he's different than the other people. He's different than the others who are just looking for the next miracle, like, let's see something amazing today. He's not just looking for a sign. This man is more concerned with saving his son. You know, he doesn't really care about, at this point, who is Jesus and, and is he who he says he is, or even, like, let's see something cool. He's concerned with acting out of a need. He's willing to do anything to save him. So, to put ourselves in the shoes of this guy, I mean, we don't know what he knew about Jesus, but... You know, if you had your son was close to death and you had even just heard about a guy who had healed or turned water into wine or done something amazing, I mean, would you be willing to do anything to save your son? And maybe that's where we're at right now with this guy, this royal royal uh, servant, this, this, um, this uh, royal official, this basiliskos. And so he goes out and he's willing to do anything. And Jesus initially responds in verse 48. And his words seem harsh. Here's this guy, his son is almost near death. And Jesus says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. It, it's like almost sounds, sounds uh, wrong of Jesus. He says, you people. I mean, wow. It, we have to understand a few things. First of all, there's a large crowd that's following around looking for a sign. And, and his words are not specifically addressed here to the royal official. First and foremost, they're, they're addressed to the, the people, the Galileans at large to say, there's so many people here that all they want to see is a miraculous sign. That's all they're concerned with. Uh, and he, Jesus is just pointing out, first and foremost, that there's too great a focus for those people, as we said, on the miraculous signs. And John continues in his gospel to reiterate that, as we've already seen and we will continue to see, there is too much interest, as far as John is concerned, in the miracles. Um, and there's too much a focus on that and, and too much interest or focus on miracles alone and a faith that is supported or held up by miracles is shown in the Gospel of John to be spiritually dangerous. That, you know, if your whole faith is, is focused on these signs and wonders and, and your belief is based upon that, that's an issue. You know, if you can't put your faith and trust in Jesus without seeing something ongoing, ongoing. I mean, these people had already seen some amazing things at the Passover festival, and it's not like they say, well, that, that just proves it. They wanted to see more. They want to see more. It's never going to be enough. And what we understand through Jesus' response here, before he moves on to a healing, is that miracles cannot bring about genuine faith. They always, you know, ultimately, we always do a couple different things. You know, as time goes on, 
the memory or the belief fades. You know, in the moment we say, wow, that's amazing. There's no explanation for that. That person was healed. That person, some, a miracle occurred, right? Um, but then as time goes on, maybe a few months later, a year later, you say, now, is that possible that that really, really occurred? You know, is, did it really happen the way I, th- I think I remember it happened? You know, is it possible that, that it could have just been fill in the blank? You know, and I, and I have personal stories of this. I know people I know have stories of this where they just, they saw something they couldn't explain, but now years later they say, I don't know. I wonder if that was what I thought it was. And, and we start to question the miracle. We start to question the, the, the experience. And in the same way, uh, other people try to find an explanation from the get-go. They say, all right, well, well maybe it's possible that you know, there was a, a fluke thing here. Or you know, if somebody, uh, we, we pray for healing from cancer and the person goes through some treatments, right? And then there's a healing from cancer, you know, that, that God God has healed them. We could look at it that way, or we could say, "Well, was it really God? Was it were our prayers effective, or or was it that just the treatment? You know, they went through the, the chemo and and they were healed f- via science. You know, when we start to enter in those questions, whatever it is, whether it takes time or ever, whether it's right away, the doubt creeps in. And so, if our if our faith is based upon miracles, it's going to waver. It's going to falter. It's going to fail. And in some cases, miracles may not occur. You may pray, you may hope for a miracle, and and the outcome is a tragedy. You know, the outcome is something very, very sad. Um, and then what could happen in many people's mind is we assume, oh, it's all fake. You know, I thought if I prayed, God was going to hear me, but, you know, that person still died. Something bad still occurred, and so um, that must mean that it's it's not real to begin with. So we know and we can see, and, and Jesus' response here in verse 48, uh, that kind of like that chastising of the people, hey, unless you see miraculous signs, you'll never believe. Like this is a problem. Like you can't just put your faith in the miraculous signs and be looking out each day for the next thing because you're just going to find ways to look past it. You need to put your faith first and foremost in Jesus. So Jesus gives that response. But then let's look at verses 49 through 53 because he, he wasn't, it was, the story wasn't over. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he acquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday. At the seventh hour. Then the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. Wow, so there's a lot going on there, right? A, it, it, a lot happened in those, in those few verses. See, the official here, he wasn't, again, interested in you know, a fulfilled prophecy or signs and wonders like the other people were. He just gets to the point again. He just says in verse 49, Please, just come down before my child dies. I'm not interested in seeing a sign. I'm interested in my son living. That, that's what I'm interested in right now. So he just gets to the point again, and, and Jesus just does something different from some of the other, other stories. He doesn't go. He says, all right, I'm going with you. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. He says, you may go. Your son will live. He just uses the word. And the man accepts the word of Jesus, and he leaves. That's, that's a lot of faith there. You know, I, if it were me, I'd say, well, well, could you come down with me and just check on him? Or, 
Would you just, you know, I, I don't know, I'd want Jesus to come with me. You know, what if I got all the way there and a day before cell phones and like a day before, like you could just like message somebody on Facebook or whatever. Like, what if I got home and like something hadn't worked out? Then I'm like, okay, where's Jesus? I got to get him over here in person. You know, that, that I would be scared. Like, what if it didn't happen? I want Jesus to be there. But this guy, he had at least some sort of faith because he went home. He just left. He took Jesus at his word and he departed. And there is a, certainly this distinction, this amazing distinction between believing as the people did because you've seen something. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Like back in chapter two, they believed. They saw miraculous signs he was doing and they believed in his name. But what? Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. There's a distinction between believing because you've seen something and believing on the strength of Jesus' words, like this guy. He just says, well, all right, I believe because you said it. And so he goes, and and there's the, and that and that contrast continues throughout, all the way throughout the Gospel of John until it kind of culminates in John chapter 20, verse 29, to give us a look ahead. John chapter 20, verse 29, uh, Jesus says to Thomas, after the, you know, the, the whole infamous doubting Thomas thing, Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God, when he puts his hand on the side, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is a very common theme in the Gospel of John and it culminates there where he's like, listen, like, that's fine that you believe because you saw me, but how even more blessed are the people? Like in this chapter four where, you know, he didn't see anything yet, but he still believed. He believed before he saw the outcome, before he saw the miracle. He believed and trusted that no matter what it was, that Jesus was going to be for him. And in this case, he heard the, the direct words of Jesus, that the outcome was going to be your son will live. And he put his trust in, in that word. Now, we see what happened was then he, he had it off, right? And it was still on the way. He was still on the way the next day because he was still on his way, um, in verse 51, and, and we see in the context of the following verses, the, he thinks back to the previous day when he saw Jesus. So uh, this is a very long journey that he's going on. And, and that gives us even more of a, of a crazy, to put ourselves in this position. I mean, he did take Jesus at the word, but to put ourselves in the, in the position of this royal official, to think of yourself like, you don't get to just like run home in a few hours. You're like, all right, let's, let's see. But it's like, all right, well, one day later, like 24 hours later or however long it was, it's like, okay, you're still heading home thinking like, wow, you you trust Jesus. But there had to be a point where he's just like, wow, I just, I'm really hoping, like, <laughs> I hope I get the good news. I hope I see my son, you know, is out of bed. Like, I mean, it's just human, I feel like. I wonder what was going through his head. And he gets the news. Thankfully, he doesn't have to get all the way home. There's someone running towards him. And uh, he's still on his way. The servants come there. And he does the math there. He adds up the hours. He's like, all right, well, when did this happen? And they say, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And he does the math and realizes that Jesus spoke at the same time that the healing occurred. And then we see a key phrase there. After he realizes it, after he does the math, so he and all of his household believed. Now here's the same, same word in the English translation, they believed, but it's a difference from John chapter two. He didn't believe because of the miracle. He, he believed in the words of Jesus, and now, first and foremost, he believed in the words of Jesus back in verse 50. He took him at his word, hey, I believe that, that this is gonna happen, but now there's a deeper 
belief going on. There's a deeper reality of belief that is happening here, not only for him, but also for his whole household. They put their deeper faith and trust in, in, in the fullness of who Jesus is, and, and their life was transformed. We don't see, I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe this, this royal official met Jesus again. We don't have record of it, but we don't see... Uh, any evidence that, you know, he ran back the next day, like, just show me one more miracle and, I, and I'll be convinced, you know, like this other crowd, it, this guy, he, he and his household believed. And there is a deepness to that word believe in the gospel of John. Belief is not just like, well, I, you know, I believe, I believe that, you know, uh, the sky is blue or I don't know. It's, it's not just this belief of, of, you know, where we sometimes go on YouTube and we say, what do I believe? I'm going to kind of look at the research over here and over here and kind of make my decision on what I believe. It's not because you added up all these things and you have all the knowledge in your head, that type of a belief or a stated belief. I believe in God. Like that's not the type of belief in the Gospel of John that is seen in passages like this. The belief is a transformational, deep, deep, uh, deep-seated belief that transforms everything. It's a transformation. It's a belief of the heart. And so the belief of, of this household and this man is a transformational thing that, that changes everything in their life. That's the kind of belief that we want to have in Christ, that no matter what comes our way, we have a deeper, deeper belief in him. Now, uh, we do want to read that last verse um, because it points us towards that, that interesting piece here of the passage. And we've learned a lot already from about belief and about uh, miracles here in John 4. Uh, but the last verse of John 4 gives us this interesting little piece here uh, because John, the gospel writer, says in verse uh, 454, this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Now, I told you at the very beginning of this, and I told you uh, last time back in February, that we were, our study here focuses on the signs in the Gospel of John. Uh, specifically, the signs that uh, John has been charting out with some, for a purpose that's just under the, under the surface, a little treasure hunt here. But here's where uh, things are interesting and why I believe, and many scholars believe, that he has, has this little piece just under the surface. Because John claims here in verse 54, this was the second miraculous sign, this healing of the official son. But if we were to go back and look at the passage, so last week, or I'm sorry, last time we saw um, in chapter two after uh, the water into wine, John, the gospel writer, said in 2.11, this was the first of the miraculous signs that Jesus performed in, at Cana in Galilee. Okay, so this was the first of his signs, the water and the wine. That was easy to understand because that was the first miracle mentioned in the Gospel of John. And if we weren't to look too deeply, we might think by John 4.54 that, okay, this is the second miracle that John mentioned or the second miraculous thing Jesus did in his ministry in the story of John. But that's actually not the case. Uh, we have just already read verse 23 back in chapter 2 where it says during and this is after the water into wine scenario that well Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast many people saw other miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name so that means between the miracle of the water into wine and the miracle of healing the official son Jesus did do other miracles but here we had the the verse that we've just read verse 54 in chapter 4 John claiming this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed. What's going on here? It's certainly not the second one he ever did. 
because we know he did more miracles in between water into wine and healing the official son. So what is he doing? Well, that's why we say here he is pointing out specific signs like clues in a treasure hunt. He is uh, he's pointing them out and he's pointing us towards uh, a deeper, deeper uh, theme here through the specific signs that he is going to point out. And I, I don't want to give it all away, um, but you can do some research. Obviously, you could cut to the chase and do some Googling on this and, and find out right away what it is. Uh, but it's a, it's a cool thing to see. He's pointing out these specific signs as clues to point towards something yet to be uncovered for the average reader, or I should say even a deeper reader of the Gospel of John. John is just so um, interesting. I think I said this last time, but one scholar said that John is is uh, like a pool that is that is shallow enough for a child to swim in. You could just read through it and go, wow, I got a lot out of that. But it's also deep enough to dive into the depths and go way down. So you could go back to it and say, wow, I never noticed this. There's so many layers to John. And so on the surface level, we've learned a lot about miracles and belief today, but we are also diving deep into the layers of John. And how could this how could we have our first two clues, the water and the wine, and now the healing of the official son, and what is that going to lead us toward? What is What greater message might John be pointing us towards through these and the other signs? And it'll take some time. You know, we only come to these um, Bible studies every so often here on the show. Uh, we intersperse them. But uh, I hope that you'll continue to join me for these studies. And, um, well, I'm having stuff fall off my my desk here. Uh, have you heard that loud clattering? Um, I hope you'll continue to join us for these studies and we'll uh, have some conversation on, on some of these things as well. But let's go ahead and pray to wrap up our study and our podcast for today. Dear God, I thank you for um, this time that we've been able to share and this uh, little uh, study in the Gospel of John today and uh, all those layers. I, I thank you for these layers of uh, it's not as if some books where we just read the Bible and then we go, well, you know, I kind of already know everything there is. No, I already read through it. But that we could go back to even just one verse and just wonder, now what's that about? And, and get deeper and deeper and deeper. So many, so it really just takes a lifetime, more than a lifetime to learn uh, and to dive into. So we thank you for that, um, that there is the surface level learning and then there's the deeper learning and, and the even deeper learning and, and so on and so forth. We pray today's study that uh, we would not just base our faith upon if you do a miracle or you don't, uh, or the short term, um, or, or the doubts. Um, we just pray that we would put our faith in something deeper and that we would take you at your word. As we read your word, we would just take you for, at your word and we wouldn't question it or, or have to go back and forth, but that we could find ourselves more and more like that royal official who just put his faith in you, took you as, at, at your word, and then 24 hours or, or like a whole day, he just was out there in, in that faith and he didn't know that it had happened immediately. He just headed home and, and just kept heading towards home. And we pray that we would be able to do that. Even if we don't know the outcome yet, that we would continue to put our faith in you. And even in the midst of sometimes bad outcomes, uh, someone still does pass away or still gets the horrible news, we pray that we would still know that you're in control and that you can, as Joseph said, um, uh, bring bring what was meant for evil good out of those situations and even the saving of many lives. And so we just pray right now that you'll be with us and guide us, that you will help us and um, transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see you all next week. Bye.